0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the show. It's your boy. Okay, I'm not going to say that anymore because that's <laughs> dumb. It's Z Dog MD, aka Doctor Zubin Demania. I'm just Z. All right, just call me that, and we're all good. Anyway, so we're excited because we're doing a Tom and Z morning rounds. Whether or not it's morning, we don't care. Time is relative, and it's an animal construct. So today we are going to try to talk about pricing in healthcare, in honor of Dr. Marty McCary, who was on our show recently, and his book is coming out today, September 10th, 2019, Uh, The Price We Pay. It's available on Amazon. We'll put links in the thing and all that. And basically, it's a real tour de force about just how shitty our healthcare system is about price transparency, price gouging, suing its own patients, um, unnecessary Care, over treatment, over testing. Basically, this is why it's $3.2 trillion. And then people want to cover it all with Medicare for all, which is a terrible idea because you're paying for something that already sucks. And then you're going to, and then the, people say, oh, well, Tom, uh, you know, if you do Medicare for all, the government will force industry to behave itself. How, how many times has that worked? Z- exactly zero. <laughs> Zero. So what will happen is you'll just codify a broken system and then you'll put draconian top-down measures to control it. It will end up stifling innovation and causing people to leave the field. What we need to do is we need a true competition, a true price transparency, along with some government uh, regulation and guidance that allows it to flourish instead of the crony capitalism we have now. So I think that's a starting point for this conversation today.
1: I view uh, Marty's book as sort of like the tip of the iceberg, you know, like it was like when the Titanic was heading full steam ahead at the iceberg, only 10% of an iceberg is above the water. And then you try and avoid it. And the entire hull of the, the boat gets scraped by the 90% that's beneath it. So it's like, as terrible as everything uh, <laughs> that's in Marty's book is, it's the tip of the spear things are so much worse there's so much more damage than we could even cover in a single podcast like shit is fucked see
0: yeah, I, I don't deny that. Although what's interesting is that Marty's book actually points out a lot of bright spots where things are working. So let's say air ambulances, people are, you know, they're they're gouging people. They're owned by these private equity firms. They're no, they've lost their mission of actually serving patients, and it's more about serving the investors. So when medicine became this, this big business, um, a lot of the ethics and a lot of the nobility of it was sucked away. And I think people feel this. But so he points out to these organizations that have sprung up now that, you know, some of them just provide the helicopter services internally, like Geisinger, um, and some of them have companies that'll actually price shop for you when it's not an emergency, right? When it's a scheduled transfer. So there are ways to get around it that actually, believe it or not, involve the free market. This is America. Okay, let's not lie that we're some kind of communist country. We're not. We're a bastion of innovation. We're the city on the hill. And we should start acting like it instead of being a bastion of crony capitalists who are in each other's pockets, legacy players that are gouging patients and healthcare providers, to be honest, because they're using us as commodities. And I think this is a passion of yours, too, right, Tom? And because, because you're, a, you're a kind of an anarcho—how would you describe th- well, yourself? They, they
1: call what I am ANCAP which just means I think the free market can solve basically everything, which is true. Like I think the free market can solve about 99% of things because if you think about it, There is going to be no more effective pricing mechanism than voluntary exchanges between human beings. So the more government interference you have between a voluntary exchange, it becomes an involuntary exchange when you put regulations in place. And then you have wonky prices and we see what's happening. Like, for instance, in healthcare, worst of the worst, because it has the most government regulation in it, um, that prices have fully decoupled. And so you, you, I mean, if you look at the graph from like 1971 when we went off the gold standard to where healthcare prices are now, you know, sure, uh, things like technology have gone deflationary, where you get a TV for 300 bucks, but which, by the way, there's like this interesting phenomenon where everybody sells their TV on Craigslist for 350 bucks, and it's like, dude. You, you paid $400 for this. I can just go to Best Buy and get a brand new TV for $400. (laughs) I'm not going to buy your old shitty TV for $400. Like, no thanks. Anyway, (laughs) healthcare has gone, (laughs) healthcare has gone hyperinflationary. And I think that this is something that, okay, for instance, like in 08, there was the whole, you know, there was the collapse, right? And who got bailed out? The big banks, right? Who's close to the big banks, all of the healthcare institutions, like large corporations. And this is something that's called the Cantillion effect. Do you know about, have you ever heard about this before? I don't. So the Cantillion effect is, it's a change in prices that results from a change or an expansion in the monetary supply. And basically anybody who's close to the new money uh, is going to benefit, you know, and who are the people that are close to the new money? It's banks and large corporations. So when you see new money drive out old money, you have this sort of um, effect where poor people get further priced out of the market while goods and services rise in price. And this is what we see largely in healthcare. Um, at, after, you know, 08, things got even worse. They accelerated. And now we're at a place where normal people just can't make up the difference. And, you know, Washington wants to throw you this bullshit like you should have a health savings account. A health savings account is not going to do anything for you when your wages have fully stagnated and the price of getting basic uh, healthcare services has gone up, you know, 30x since 1970.
0: Yeah, and, and I think this is the central point is that until you control this cost rise, whether it's due to printing new money, whether it's due to the fact that healthcare is disintermediated from the free market by the insurance millman. So it's always been insulated uh, since employer based insurance plans came online because now you have a third party who's paying the cost. So the end user, the patient, is insulated from the cost. Until you actually look at where they're paying it, which is in in terms of stagnating wages, in terms of economic um, stagnation, because... The companies have to have to pay foot this bill for health care, which keeps inflating because there's this strange middleman that'll pay the cost, which means that providers have to keep jacking up rates in order to fight the fact that insurance companies are going to keep denying. And it's this money game, which I think is at the center of what Marty's book is about. It's like we play these money games. Hospitals charge a shit ton of money in this marked up sort of charge master rate to fight the fact that the insurance companies keep, you know, reducing reimbursements and it's this escalating money game and who's caught in the middle, the patients, but also like, People like doctors and nurses, because guess who gets blamed, right, when a, a patient goes bankrupt because of a medical bill? You know, it's the doctors, and they don't even know that it's a lot of times that it's happening. Now, some of them are complicit. One thing you said about the free market, I mean, it's absolutely true, but you've also said, and I agree with this, that unfettered, unregulated capitalism leads to slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there has to be some guidance, right? Like you cannot just, like a pure free market in healthcare means that somebody's not going to get care because they have no money. Right. So how do we deal with that?
1: It's super super tricky because, you know, there's always going to be this. uh, The world is always going to be in a fight between centralization and decentralization. And governments will always want to grow. Um, you know, the government is in the business of being the government and they're going to want to continue to be the government. So you say something very sensible, like maybe the free market does need a few, uh, regulations to keep, uh, tragedies of the commons from occurring. And the government goes, cool, cool. What I heard is build a giant military and fuck everybody else in the world over. Is that what we're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not what we're talking about. Right. I I think, so here's, here's something I, I want to get into. Do, do you know what the uh, World Health Organization's definition of health is? Because I have it here in front of me. Uh, uh, I don't because I, I don't really care about the
0: WHO. But yeah, right. please tell me. So
1: since 1949, uh, the, he- health, the WHO says health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity, which... At first glance, seems kind of like a you know a pretty decent definition um, for all the things that we always talk about. Seems like they're pushing back a little bit on the idea that the body is a machine, uh, but it also has this this word in it that is really troubling to me, which is complete. And the word complete, it basically means limitless, right? So if there's any flaw in the quote-unquote machinery of the human body, well, then we have to get in there and fix it, right? And the pa- and in this system, patients are passive and doctors are the overseers who make these decisions about what is and what is not a good outcome for the patient. Like what is and what is not health for the patient. When that should be something that the patient is making the decision on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's It's actually you know we have this term in healthcare which i think is a kind of a it's another one of these wonky stupid things that people invent just to keep themselves in business in the ivory tower but the term is shared decision making so the idea that the patient's preferences hopes dreams fears and goals matter and the clinician's sort of wisdom and guidance matters and together these two storm clouds meet and you precipitate the the rain of truth but in reality, we ought to be weighing the patient's uh, side of this much more heavily because, you know, let's say you have an obese patient, but but see, it becomes it becomes complicated. So let's say you have an obese patient who just doesn't care that they're obese. They they right. like to eat, right. they don't care that they're losing toes, that's not a concern of theirs. They just wanna keep eating and watching TV. Let's say that's their goal. Let's say it's a pure goal. And you no, would I told say, you okay, first of res- all, I
1: told you that in confidence and uh, you know. <laughs> I thought well, we had know, some sort of confidentiality. I don't believe in HIPAA. I consider HIPAA (laughs) more of a
0: guideline than anything else, just a gentle (laughs) guideline. Uh, And so, so Tom wants his toes to fall out and he wants to keep eating Chipotle. Actually, no, he wants to keep eating Popeyes. Um, Pope, yes. And uh, should we allow him to do that? Because that's his hope, dream, and fear is to just be that. Well, the problem is when that affects the common good, it's kind of like vaccines. You can choose not to get vaccinated, but when you affect others, like people who can't be vaccinated and they die because of you, well, then you're an asshole and we need to do something. So the question is, is the obese diabetic who doesn't give a fuck, are they an asshole? Uh, Are they affecting the commons in terms of sucking up resources, in terms of showing up in the ER with complaints that are all due to the obesity? And then you have to abstract one level further and go: are, are they to blame for their obesity when they live in a food desert? They're poor. They can't exercise. Various things happen. So it becomes this very interesting web of uh, causality that that you can't really pinpoint what's going on. So you have to think about all this when you're thinking about healthcare, and that's why it's much more complex than any simple reductionist answer can
1: uh, can give us. These are all. It's so tricky because in some ways I agree with you, but in other ways. Uh... I don't want to give individuals that escape from responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, of course, some people are born into really shitty circumstances and really shitty environments. And that is going to color and affect the way uh, you see the world. I mean, like, if you ever talk to somebody who is raised um, in poverty versus somebody who is raised in wealth and privilege, They just have very different ways of seeing and handling the world. So, yeah, I agree. But also, at the same time, you're taking away responsibility by telling people that they don't really have free will. And, you know, it's not your fault. Like the corner store is full of crap, you know, you can get you you can make new decisions. Every day is a new day to change, you know. I'm with you a thousand percent. And this is something that, uh, you
0: know, again, my thinking on this has evolved. I used to be a pure systems advocate and say, you know, almost a nanny state advocate. Like, you know, people are dumb. Uh, they need a uh, big brother to kind of guide them and take the sugar out of their drinks and that kind of thing. But now I'm like, you know what? You're a big boy. Put on your big boy panties. We'll help you by not doing really stupid systemic things that encourage stupidity because oftentimes we do that. So poor systems design, which is why top-down architectures are often failures like mandating electronic health records without really mandating interoperability and these kind of things that have led to, you know, bad outcomes, but encouraging some degree of personal stuff. By the way, the free will thing, I've evolved on that too. Uh, Listening to Donald Hoffman more, just real quick on that. Yeah. Free will, you know, free will. Yes. in, In the pure Sam Harris deterministic sense, if you really kind of go back and go, well, did I really make a decision or did it bubble up from my unconscious from a place I don't understand? And then I acted on it. Well, yeah, that is true. But here's the thing. Uh, that bubbling up from your unconscious is actually coming up from a conscious place that you just don't have access to. So there's reasons you're bubbling up that decision that just Mm. aren't accessible to you. And here's the thing you have override. So at your level of consciousness where you are aware, you can go, Oh, I really want chocolate cake, but you can go, yeah, you know what though? That's a bad idea. And I'm going to override my unconscious on this and not only that but you can condition your unconscious with better people around you making better overall higher level decisions uh, so that this, you're not
1: surre- yeah. this makes a lot of sense to me because this is basically like this is the cycle right so like you're okay so maybe it's true that your unconscious stuff is coming up from you know six months ago right but what if you made new decisions for six months and then your unconscious yeah. stuff would be new behaviors you know
0: and right, we, right. It, or, right.
1: And we do see that with people who, you know, lose a lot of weight and keep it off or, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. It takes uh, like, you know, what is people- it they say? It takes 90 days to make a habit, right? So maybe it's 90 days to disrupt your unconscious flow.
0: And what is a habit? It's this momentum energy where I think our unconscious becomes conditioned to act in a way that is automatic. And the truth right. is, if you really, if you really drill down to what is the unconscious, it's it's, it's a conscious agent underneath there making decisions that we don't directly
1: access, and then pull but it apart, part- pull it apart in a fractal manner, right? So, like there are probably cycles within cycles. So I'm probably living in some sort of a 24 hour cycle, in some sort of a week cycle, a month cycle, a year cycle, a 10 year cycle, a 30 year cycle, and uh, these things probably keep coming up for me. And there are probably moments that I have uh, the ability to disrupt these cycles. So you have to kind of wait for your time, and then you know thread the needle disrupt the cycle. Get the wedge.
0: Yeah, Get the wedge in there, yeah. And people who are successful in losing weight or in changing their lives will all kind of say this kind of thing, that they had to generate this new habit energy, this new momentum. And so then I think holding, having some accountability, but with tools, with compassion and saying, you know what, I understand your struggle, but here's some tools that now I'm gonna hold you accountable to use and I'm gonna help you. And that's what the healthcare system ought to be doing. It shouldn't be sitting there judging people, but it shouldn't be sitting there medicating to to death people where really the, the root cause causes actually cognitive. Um, and, right? you know, and actually, so this gets to an interesting question. And again, it's a little bit of a derailment, but not really. So I had um, Dr. Harry over over the weekend and Kaiser system and others are struggling with, and you and I have talked about this before, and it has to do with this kind of idea of personal responsibility. Um, they're, they're struggling with this uh, onslaught of people in their, their patients, in their system that, are suddenly woke about behavioral health. So they suddenly, the stigma is lessened and now it's like just the common miseries of daily life, they want a therapist. So they are demanding that they be seen and they, are, they want mental health services and so on for the kind of complaints that typically in the old days we would have ascribed to ordinary misery. And so what ends up happening is you gum up the system cause there aren't enough therapists and actually the turnover on therapists is really high because they have to see all these patients. And they're sitting here going, you know, there are people with real, real mental illness that, I mean, everybody's suffering is real, but the thing is there's mental illness that requires therapy and there's mental illness where you can get off your ass, watch a couple of YouTube videos that give you the tools, evidence-based tools, things like cognitive behavioral therapy and, and the like, where in your daily life at home, you can make your life better, meditation, cognitive, you don't need a therapist, but now people are, are have this entitlement mindset that no, I, I need a therapist because I'm sick.
1: Oh, well, you know how I feel about this because, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, my, my mother is severely mentally ill, hears voices, uh, has, you know, uh, extreme thought disturbances, Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I hate this shit. I see, uh, you know, more and more, and especially from people in my generation where it's like, you know, being they'll say things like being mentally ill. OK, just because I'm high functioning, <laughs> like doesn't mean I'm not a sad bitch on the inside. It's like, hey, 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 shut the fuck up. You're not mentally ill. You just can't handle life cause you're a pussy. You know what I mean? And everybody helicopter parented you and you've never been outside without like a chaperone and you're 27. Shut the fuck up. I'm sick of hearing you. You're not mentally ill. Oh, you know oh what I mean? man, you know. And again, who's to none blame of you, for this? Listen, well? None of you are mentally ill. If you get a little depressed, you get a little anxious, that is not mental illness and you need to shut the fuck up about it, okay? Go on a walk, exercise eat right, spend time with friends, basic shit. You know what I mean? Tom Heineber. That's
0: a great quote. Shut the fuck up. Uh, you're, it's ordinary misery, right? Yes, exactly. But, which is what Freud you know, called it. Right, right, right. Exactly. There's a, there's a silver lining here, which is, okay, we're destigmatizing mental illness. Great. But there's a there's a bad dark side to this, which is you're gumming up the works uh, a little bit in terms of availability of, of providers. I mean, our our uh, behavioral health specialist at Turntable was booked solid, solid. And many of them were worried well, but many of them were really sick. And, you know, she saw all of them, but it, 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 it it's kind of like, listen, we need to give people educational tools for how they can manage their daily shit, especially since we've made them so fragile by raising them wrong, right, which is our fault. It's like,
1: we helicopter yeah.
0: them, we coddle them, we give a culture of safetyism, all the other things oh, that height oh. others talk about.
1: Yeah. L- listen, over-parenting leads to adult-learned helplessness. That's yes. exactly the path you're going to get. And what does is, what is over-parenting look like for that? It's like... If you're paying for your adult child any part of your adult child's life, if you're paying for that child, that's overparenting. If you're bailing out a child or not letting them face natural consequences, that's overparenting. If you're intervening and directing a child's relationship with their friends, siblings, whoever, that's overparenting. Like if you're highly emotionally reactive about your children's circumstances, that's overparenting. Like let your fucking children outside. Stop doing things for your child that they can do themselves. You know what I mean? Like let, Yeah, no. I you, some of, some of you need to stop being such anxious little bitches all the time because you're ruining society. All right? You know I'm a thousand
0: percent with you on this. You know, this weekend, one of the advantages of moving back to the Bay Area is there is this interesting community here where, you know, we, we live in a little cul-de-sac and all the neighbors kind of know each other. And so over the weekend, the kids, you know, my two daughters were like, you're just jumping out of their skin, and, and we're like, you know, bitch, go outside. And figure something out so they go outside they go knock on the neighbor's door the neighbor's little kid comes out the next thing you know these kids have disappeared for like the whole fucking day and then they come back they're covered in sap they've got scratches and bruises they've done some shit that I'm like hmm that was a risk-taking behavior Uh, and I was so happy they were like lit up they had they had learned to take and manage risk they're less fragile they're more anti-fragile they're they're gaining strength from adverse and yeah, I had to take goo gone, which is not something you apply to the skin, and <laughs> apply it to the skin to take the damn sap off them. And yeah, I was pissed that they ruined their clothes, but at the same time, I was like, damn. And you know, it was liberating for us because we got to be adults and and do what you know get get shit done. So. I, it's you know what's weird Tom is like I could never do that in our gated, guard gated community in
1: Las Vegas we just didn't feel safe <laughs> it's, that's I don't inter- know what it- that's interesting yeah. psycholo- psychologically like if you put up walls yeah. around, around yourself you know what I mean Look, I, yeah either, you kind of feel like it's not yeah. safe as it is yeah. I'm going to quote a great man here Mike Tyson who said <laughs> everybody has a plan until they get punched in the fucking face and here's oh. here's what I mean by that is If you've never been tested, right, and you walk around scared and anxious, well, you have good reason to walk around scared and anxious because you've never been tested. You've never gone through anything. Okay. Right. So you don't know what you're made of. And you don't know when you're gonna be tested and when somebody's gonna pull your card, when somebody, when life is gonna fucking punch you in the face. You just don't know. Mm. So, you mm. do have good reason to be nervous and anxious. And uh, what I'm telling you is if you were the kind of person who was overparented and you find yourself in this cycle of adult learned helplessness in any uh, shape or form, like you need to test yourself and get out of it. Find a way to push your limits, go towards what you're scared of. You know, this is what children naturally do, and it's only when we interrupt that cycle that we make bad children who become bad adults who then want safe spaces. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> you know what? You triggered me, Tom, and you didn't give me a trigger warning, so now I'm a little bit butthurt. Uh, I'm just saying, it, it's it's a thousand percent true. And you know, the truth is, what's weird is I was overparented and underparented at the same time. So how a that happens, a, 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 yeah.
1: It happens. Over- you have like a mother mom. that's overprotective. Yeah. And then a father. who's yeah. like, a And then dad completely distant. Yeah. What do you mean? Ruben? <laughs> Is something wrong with him? Like, that's, that's not his name. That's not my name, dad. <laughs> that's not his name. That's right.
0: Why are you always calling him Ruben? I told you we named him Zubin. <laughs> so yeah, overprotective mom, underprotective dad. And then both of them gone for vast stretches of time where I, I had a Trinidadian nanny. Uh, growing up in New Jersey, and she'd be like, Hey, Z-Dog, you know, never mind what I'm smoking now, but you go and watch TV because that's your real babysitter. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I watched Land of the Lost until, you know, I thought when I grew up I wanted to be a slea stack. So, you know, it
1: all worked out, Tom Heineberg. It all worked out. Dude, it's, it's actually amazing, too, when you start taking control of your own life. Like, that's a cycle that really... Um That cycle really, it changes everything for you. You just little decisions to take control of your own life will change everything in your uh, environment, how you think, how you feel, how you act. It will change your mental health just, and it's simple stuff. Just the decision I'm going to eat right today. I'm going to go to the gym today. I'm going to stand up for my boundaries or I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. Those things are so simple that's what we used to call conviction or moral character. And we don't have it anymore. You know, like I I often think about Martin Luther King Jr. who said, you know, I hope we live in a world where uh, my children are not judged by the color of the skin, but the content of their character. And then I think about the new left who wants special treatment just for the color of their skin. And they think that, you know, the color of your skin is the most interesting thing about somebody and that that should be that everything's power and we're all just playing power games. And these people with this color skin are holding down these people with this color skin. Why doesn't everybody with every color skin just focusing on, focus on being a person of high conviction? Because I'll tell you, the more I walk the path of being a person of high conviction, the more I see how few people are walking the path. The path is basically em- empty. You know what I mean? Uh,
0: well, you know, it's, it's interesting. So the far left and the far right both share something, which is tribalism. So yeah, well, the far right wanna-
1: the far right is like we're special cuz we're white and the far left right. is like we're special cuz we're not white. None of you are special. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Yeah, every <laughs> Every, <laughs> I mean, when you drill, oh, by the way, dude, so speaking of special,
0: so when you drill down into this and, um, I've really been actually getting into, uh, Sam Harris's lessons on his app. So he has these conversations with Jack Cornfield. He had a conversation with Locke Kelly. He had a conversation with, uh, Rinpoche, one of the, uh, Tibetan llamas that he has trained with. And yeah. those conversations are, are really fascinating because he's basically, it's funny to watch Harris kind of work out his own shit with these teachers. And, um. You know, you can tell Harris is like you. He's a, he's the scientist archetype, right? He has to be right. He's like he's searching for the right answers, and um, you have these guys saying, "Actually, right is a is a state of mind, and as long as you approach it the correct way, you you don't have to necessarily technically be right." And you can see him kind of straining against that. But the <laughs> right. idea that like you know nobody's particularly special yet we're all kind of infinitely capable of just recognizing moment to moment the nature of our own awareness and seeing that it's actually as special as anything gets and it's shared with every living creature. And then you start to go, you know what, I'm going to shut the fuck up. I'm going to do my part in this vast ecosystem of consciousness to make it less shitty for myself and others. And that's that's all that being a person of high conviction really means. It yeah, just means totally. I'm I'm dedicated to this shit. Like I'm gonna cause less suffering and more well being for as many entities as I can, including myself, which means I have to forgive myself, I have to work on myself, I have to try to recognize and see when I'm being an asshole, which is hard because we don't see ourselves well, we don't have the process or capacity to understand how we behave, so we get glimpses of it. Uh totally. And you sit yeah. Yeah, so, you need to you
1: that know. you're the only thing you and your decisions are the only thing that you can control in this entire world. And <laughs> this okay so a lot of z packers follow me on my personal facebook which is a bad idea because listen that sounds I'm, terrible i'm just gonna light you up like i don't give a shit you know, what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> if we're having you know if you're having a cognitive distortion you, you know your version of being punched in the face is meeting tom heinembre on facebook um <laughs> but i put up i put up this thi- i put up this thing and i just said imagine having tattoos lol which is <laughs> <laughs> because my <laughs> here's my personal feelings Z tattoos are the dumbest thing uh Imaginable, and there's nothing substantive about having a tattoo. And we now live in a society where everybody has tattoos and it's become herd behavior to have a tattoo. So how are you some type of special individual for having a tattoo when every other asshole looks like you who has a tattoo? And I get it. Listen, you're 18, you're dumb, you go into the tattoo parlor and you feel shitty about yourself. So what do you do? You try and polish a turd by getting a special butterfly on your forearm. That is not a good look, okay? You need to work on yourself instead of trying to get Convince people that you're special because you spent eight hours getting some dude named Jeff to jab you in the arm with a needle and now you have Hep C. Okay? There's...
0: You know what? I, I you know, Tom, I guess you're not really taking to heart my tattoo that just says respect. And uh you're 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 giving me the bare modicum thereof, and I I I don't respect that.
1: Well, okay? when when I saw uh, it when I saw it said R-E-S-E-P-C-T, I was like <laughs> that's not it, Z. That's not correct. Yeah, when you have a
0: when you have a typo in your tattoo that's when um the game is afoot as uh you know
1: sherlock would have said oh my god uh, i mean look dude
0: like a lot of, wait, i think wait, wait, wait. i was
1: going to get to a larger point though which is a lot of people uh, yeah. a lot of people are trying to do this in which they don't feel good about themselves so they're trying to basically polish a turd and they do that in all sorts of ways which is you know like you know, a lot of the, the moralizing conversation that we're seeing is people projecting a large moral canvas to basically cover a large moral problem with themselves, which is, you know, and it's, and once you realize that everything is projection, that's all you can see everywhere. And it's like, that's what people are doing is they're just projecting their own shit out onto the world. And, uh, you know, I'm doing it all the time too. You're doing it all the time too. There are just different levels of it. And some of it is kind of base and pathetic. <laughs>
0: Right. Projection is a a fascinating phenomenon. It is, as you say, rampant. And when you learn to tune in to it, you see it everywhere, like you said, but then you start seeing it in yourself and you go, oh, shit, I am absolutely projecting. And, uh, you know, this idea that, that this defense mechanism, right, to defend the ego um, because the ego is the centerpiece in an unenlightened person, uh, of everything. And you need it, you need it to survive. You need to develop a healthy ego, but then you need to, at some point, transcend it and see it for what it is, which is a tool, not a identity. Uh, and when we identify with that ego, that that's when the, the shit hits the fan. It's interesting. So those transient moments when I've identified not with my own separate self ego, this is whatever the Zubin's character is that i'm defending against you know attack online or i'm you know projecting out into the world as this thing that knows what it's talking about when you when i actually go oh no actually i'm this field of uh, of awareness in which this Dog character arises, and I can see it from the separate, more inclusive, more, you know, a- 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 equanimanimous <laughs> viewpoint <laughs> and be at peace. Oh, that's liberating. And you only get glimpses of that, right? Until right. Unless you sit in a cave for years. But even in the worst, like you can be having an argument with someone and then you can detach into that point of view. And suddenly... You come out back into the argument from a place of wisdom instead of reactivity. It's, it's very hard to do, but it's doable, which means we should strive towards it.
1: I like the person who uh, you know <laughs> clicked on this podcast. They were like, "Ooh, healthcare pricing. This is going to be interesting." Yeah. Um, the next thing you know. <laughs> So it's like well, every time well I can I can you know okay so why why are we always talking about you know this kind of stuff like the egoic self and you know everything's a field of consciousness and you know maybe all experience is relative and subjective and everything it's because like okay think about insurance companies think about basically all human bodies as machines right and then something goes wrong. There's a flaw in the machine, so that's a coverable event. It's like a house; like there was a fire in the house, we can cover that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not yeah. how that's not how human beings work. That's just not well, what you know, it, it's not what it is.
0: Let, 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 let's dive into that. That's fascinating. It made me think of something. So, okay, insurance treats human bodies like cars, like machines, right? So when when they they go but the and everything, the spring breaks and whatever, that, that's when they're there to help you cover you for that. And, and it's probabilistic and there's actuarial claims data. And so you charge prices based on age and, you know, risk and preexisting conditions. And that's how you cover a machine, right? Just like you would pay more for a Ferrari that's going to break right. for their insurance. You can pay less for a Honda Accord, which is pretty stable. Exactly. So, now, here's the question. Do these insurance companies mechanistically actually cover, should they be covering the oil changes and the tire rotations and the preventative maintenance at 20 and 30 and 100,000 miles and the timing belt and things like that? And the answer is, well, no, They uh, an auto insurance would never do that. So why the fuck is health insurance in the prevention business? The prevention is not a machine. This is a complex human being with hopes, dreams, and fears, and attitudes, and responsibilities. That is the purview of a relationship with another human being or a team of human beings. And that's why I'm always advocating, you know, when when you talk about Medicare for all, you can talk about it, that's fine, but it should be a catastrophic true insurance for when the machine is fucked up, but before that, before that, that's where the government should think about and employers should think about and individuals should think about how do you pay for and what do you pay for prevention? And the answer is, well, we've actually kind of looked at that. If you have a really good relationship with somebody whether it's a therapist or a primary care doc or whether it's a health coach, I don't care who it is, and you're paying for that, whether it's your insurer paying, not your insurer, whether it's your employer or the government or you paying for that out of some health savings account, who cares what it is, as long as it's it's fairly equitable. So like, you know, people with econ- economic means cover their own share and people who don't have it have it helped out. Well, then you actually start to change attitudes and desires and habit energy and people start to improve their lives in a way that prevents needing the Medicare for All catastrophic insurance unless something mm-hmm. terrible happens. You get leukemia, you get in an accident, you know, you have a genetic disorder, then the, then it's there for you. And that is the ideal system of personal responsibility, paying for prevention differently than you pay for failure of prevention and incentivizing people to do the right thing. That's what we need. And that's why when I did the piece on Medicare for All, you know, a lot of people push back. They're like, well, no, that's what Medicare for All is saying. It's like, you're going to fix primary care. No, you're not. You're going to cover it with the government shit's going to go all fucked up it doesn't work in Canada in the sense that you're still not encouraging prevention you're still you know you haven't fixed that model you're just making sure everyone's covered which is actually very admirable and the Canadians really will say that's hey this is I can't understand how people can go bankrupt and that's true well but how about we actually focus on what works and do it in a uniquely American way where everyone's covered and it saves money and we have better outcomes and the rest of the world can fuck themselves in the ass because they <laughs> haven't gotten it right so you know what I'm the, I'm more jingoistic and more like you know I, I ma- in many ways I hate America I feel we've done terrible things in the world and in many ways I'm like this is the only country that has any hope of getting this shit right because we're fucking America and, and we have the chance to do it why are we trying to flush it away because a bunch of con- Communists want to fucking socialize medicine here. Fuck that shit.
1: Nobody is saying. Okay, I I said too much. (laughs) Nobody is saying that America is perfect. It's just that America is the best so far. You know what I mean? Everything else is worse than America. I'm sick of hearing this shit where it's like the Nordic. You know, in the Nordic countries, man. It's like when you talk to people that are actually from Norway or wherever the fuck, and I have, they don't like their system either. (laughs)
0: You know what I mean? Everybody, everybody, everybody complains about their system. Right. That's just part of it. Bernie
1: Bernie Sanders put out a tweet the other day that says Medicare for all means no premiums, no copays, no deductibles. And then I saw that. My favorite response to the tweet was Medicare for all means no innovation, no availability, no escape. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's exactly right.
0: It, you know what's funny though? Both of those tweets represent a uh, simplification that is necessary when you fight on Twitter. So Bernie Sanders' people actually very smart. He knows who his base is. He knows who's who who he's appealing to. So no copays, you know, no no bills, this kind of thing. It's like, well, yeah, that's what they want to hear. And honestly, right. the, it it's it's it's. Uh, It's an oversimplification that is hiding the truth, which is it's going to cost a shit ton of money. People are going to have to pay very high taxes. Now, the truth is it already costs a shit ton of money, and we pay a tax in the form of low wages and inflation and printing more money to pay for it. So already it's broken. So we need an answer. But... There's no simple answer like both these sides are saying. And by the way, the libertarians are wrong on this too. Just like, let's go yeah. out and put out a bunch of direct, direct primary care clinics and let them compete and people will pay out of pocket for it. Dude, that just doesn't work. It, 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 healthcare is a weird thing where you do need a safety net. You do need some uh sort of structure to it that requires systems thinking because otherwise you end up with people just gouging and crazy shit happening and even in a in a perfectly free market with perfect competition that shit will occur
1: well we always Um, talk about uh, well i listen i'm you know pretty anarcho-capitalist which means like i would like to see the destruction of everything that's government regulated (laughs) like i would just like it to be all i would like it all burned to the ground but We do need some sort of a social safety net. I can agree with that. And so I guess I'm sort of a a minarchist, like a minimal anarchist, (laughs) like in in that regard. But we always talk about compassion for, you know, the the people that are suffering, right? What what about compassion for the people that are paying for everything, Z? (laughs) What about Mm. compassion for them? You know what I'd like to see? Okay. I'm okay with having a social safety net where people that need the help are getting the help. You know what I want? I'm at me, one of the people who's fucking paying for it. I want to make sure that the money is going where it's supposed to be going. Have some Mm. compassion for me, a person who is giving up little pieces of my life to make somebody else's life a little better. Have some compassion for me and make sure the fucking money goes where the fuck it's supposed to go. Is that so hard? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's,
0: it's essentially that gets to the heart of how people have these very strong moral palates, right? So that's a fairness versus cheating moral taste bud. And on the right, it manifests exactly uh, this, which is, how is it that I do, I take care of my shit, I'm accountable, I work hard, I pay taxes. And then buttfuck McGee over here is just sucking at the, at the public teat. And then on the left, it manifests as how is it that people can in the working poor can work and struggle and they're the victims of racism and bias but then donald trump is born with a silver dick in his mouth (laughs) and you know (laughs) and and gets everything and it's all momentum and and he can just cheat and you know not pay his contractors and and this and that so it's really fascinating i think you have to acknowledge there's truth on all sides of that. And then we have to work towards the best solution. But ignoring one side or the other is going to lead to uh, no solutions. And yeah, but I don't, I, don't like
1: yeah. The high, I don't like the highlighting of um, the highlighting of edge cases that goes on. Like Donald Trump is an edge case. You know what I mean? Most people that This ha- is true, yeah. Most people that have money uh, do well in business by doing well for other people creating actual value not many people you know and Donald Trump didn't do that well uh, he could have put his money in an ETF and done better so he so right, yeah. he screwed himself by cheating other people as well and he basically just what? over over complicated every business deal he ever did he also seems to have no understanding of basic risk reward i mean the man is an idiot like yeah yeah, he's he's a he's a physical moron but i don't Um, like i don't like that we're highlighting these edge cases where it's like okay maybe the Koch brothers are evil and you know one of them's dead now but maybe they're evil assholes and you know of course they are i'm sure they are but you know there are a lot of rich people who have built services that we all use and enjoy you know what i mean?
0: I, I mean, I concur with you hundred percent, but then if you look, it's the same, by the same token, you can say, you know, when Reagan talked about welfare queens, first of all, that was kind of a made up thing, but he's pointing out an edge case, like, you know, the person on welfare who's out there living it up and this and that it's, it's an edge case. Most, I think most people who are on government assistance are trying in some way to get off. Um, and the ones that aren't though are poisoning the sort of well, and it's the same with, I think the ultra rich. Uh, so I think if we understand all these edge cases and start to discard them and focus on how do we encourage what is effectively the center, which is everybody else, we can actually come up with some solutions. But see, ideas like, you know, like Bernie Sanders, when he uses that language, it's just, it's just not correct. I think it's partial. It's true, but partial. Yeah. You need to look at all angles of it. You know, you know who actually surprised me? So I know, I know you're not a fan of Andrew Yang's, uh, uh, you know, universal basic income, and I don't understand it well enough to think of it beyond how stupid it sounds. What, Yang um, Gang? Yang Gang? The, yeah, yeah, are, are you a member of the Yang Gang? Bro, I'm Yang uh, Gang 2020, dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, full disclosure, Andrew Yang ran Venture for America, which Josh Poino on my team was a member of. So, I was connected to Andrew through that organization, and he was really a true, like, capitalist. Like, that's what he was... Yeah, yeah there to do so yeah but but so it's interesting so when i did the medicare for all rant um uh the yang gang kind of weighed in and said this is effectively what andrew yang is saying and they directed me to his healthcare platform and i read it and it actually said it made some of the right noises about look you need this catastrophic insurance but you need to focus on what actually works which is you know primary care preventive disease you need to restructure the care delivery and i think that's 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 all true. Andrew Yang is once- Andrew Yang's
1: a smart mm-hmm. guy and I do agree with a lot of what he says. I just I disagree with the core tenant of his entire platform which is, which is uni- yeah. universal basic income. Now here's here's where we might agree. I am actually not opposed to a debt jubilee. You know what I mean? Like but I don't think we can have a debt jubilee in the modern era because of how things are structured. So because of the securitization securitization of debt and the financialization of debt well, we're not going to be able to just so easily with a stroke of a pen erase all the debt. Right. So what's the modern version of a debt jubilee? Print a shitload of money and give it to Main Street. But as a one time thing, not as an ongoing recurring, well, you're, you're well, on the government dole for the rest of your life.
0: Help me out here. What is a debt jubilee? I haven't heard this term. Well,
1: before. so in ancient history, debt jubilees were just, it's exactly what it sounds like. You would just erase all the debt because things, w- things would just get too crazy. And, you know, it, it it's, it's like a situation that we find ourselves in now where normal people are never going to pay back their debts. They're in a situation where they're looking at, you know, um, 40 years ahead of them with stagnating wages and, you know, they have $150,000 in student loans and they can barely make the interest payments on them, you know because of the way the system is set up. So the system br- is broken. And in ancient history, the system would break too, and you would have to have a debt jubilee where you just canceled all the debt. We can't cancel all the debt in a modern society. So what you'd have to do is you'd have to have a bailout for main street, which is like, they had a bailout for wall street. And because of the Cantillion effect, uh, it made everything fucking worse. Wealth inequality is worse than it was before. And we're now at a yeah. fee- we're now at a fever pitch in our society where like shit could get really bad really quickly and we could be living in Hong Kong before we know it. So what we're gonna have to do is print money and give it to regular people, but you know they're gonna have to use it just for debt. That's gonna be the strings attached to the money. So here here's X number of thousands of dollars. Print down your debt. There you go. We're we're done. Now Main Street got the same bailout that Wall Street got, and everybody. It, you see, because the problem with UBI is you're permanently. It's taking away agency, accountability, and responsibility permanently, and all the money just goes back into the economy. So prices rise, and it really does— it's inflationary. Yeah, it really does nothing, ultimately.
0: What is is Yang's argument about the inflationary uh, piece of this? Because I haven't really heard him speak about it. I, I haven't had a chance to listen to him on Harris or some of these other podcasts.
1: I haven't heard him address what I just said. Uh, I've had mm. I've heard him say a lot of bullshit about automation and how it's going to, you know, take away trucking jobs. Which sure, but truckers will figure out something else to do because yeah, guess exactly. what? We don't have a lot of jobs we had from the pre-industrial revolution era. Uh, you know, there, there's nobody. <laughs> I don't even know what those jobs were, but there aren't a lot of people <laughs> uh, doing you know horseshoes anymore. You know, there's some people doing horseshoes, but not that many. But now they're artisan, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're deep game artisans where, you know, this
0: horseshoe was handmade in Petaluma by uh, Bob McGillicuddy, who comes from
1: a long generation.
0: Whereas back in the day, it's like, where's the, where's the horseshoe guy?
1: I think "Eh, bring him over here. What I would say about Andrew Yang is that he's directionally correct, but his implementation is dog shit. Mm-hmm. you know what yeah, i mean that's fair like, we should I, get him on
0: the show and we should debate it
1: yeah well he's he's like yeah. a never gonna be president so it doesn't fucking matter anyway <laughs> you
0: know yeah do you think that's true or do you think he'll be like a wild card i don't think he'll actually
1: get elected but do you think he'll actually be, get the nomination i think it's i think it's gonna be bernie trump which is what it should have been in 16 although bernie will be now um he'll have his hamstrung he'll be hamstrung because you know It's been four years. Trump's the incumbent. It's hard to beat incumbent presidents. Anybody that thinks Trump's not going to win in 2020 is fooling themselves. Trump is 1,000% going to win. Um, Yeah. You heard it here first because, uh, you know, personally, I know a lot of liberals who got the tax cuts and are now going to quietly vote for Trump. They're not going to talk. (laughs) They're not going to talk about it. But like I talk to people all the time, you know, Uh,
0: you know, what's funny is. I actually have, I'm more incentivized to vote against Trump because he actually cost me money on taxes because of getting rid of the, uh, interest mortgage and like basically hurting the blue states. But right? it, doesn't it doesn't matter. Attention. It doesn't matter how you
1: vote. You can just skip it. You don't because even the have blue to states. It doesn't even matter. I, You're in California. I'm not even gonna,
0: like it doesn't matter. I'm not even going to register to vote because first of all, my vote is wasted. Second of all, I'm going to end up getting called for jury duty. And I hate that shit because I'm not a good citizen. To I saw,
1: I saw a sign. that was, so great and it was like uh somewhere in texas and it said welcome to texas stop trying to make it like the liberal shithole you left <laughs> you <know? laughs> and then and then it said vote republican you
0: know <laughs> uh, you know i've gotten so much shit from my more conservative elements of my audience for moving back to california they're outraged they're yeah like, how could you do it what are you thinking And I'm like, you know,
1: yeah, (laughs) you're going to be the first. I mean, you know what I mean? You're literally living on a a hill in a a place with one of the worst wealth disparities in the country. They're coming for you Mm -hmm. first with the pitchforks. I want them
0: to get me because, (laughs) uh, you know, then I can uh, I can find out what happens when you die by pitchfork. You know, I've been always wondering. Yeah, it's 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 uh, this is fucking the whole thing. See, the my whole thing
1: polarity, my thing is that people are not stupid. Um, I think people are actually, you know, pretty good at making calculations that benefit their own lives, but it is so goddamn impossible to save money with the way the money system works currently. So what do poor people end up doing, they end up storing their wealth in uh, things like a vehicle, which, you know, is not a great place to store wealth, but is actually a, kind of a better place than keeping your wealth in cash over a certain time period mm-hmm. so yeah. some of these some of these are very rational decisions that they they make and you know human beings make rational decisions to reach outcomes are they wait. Like, i don't want to use the word rational human beings make decisions to reach outcomes right they're not always rational but right <laughs> i i think for it's, the most i think for the most part people realize that like things are fucked and that healthcare is health healthcare is the worst of the worst in terms of how fucked everything is well and and this gets again to bring the conversation
0: full circle so holding patients say accountable forcing them to behave as consumers having them make rational decisions that's a high bar and some of the data seems to show that it's hard to get people to do that which is why i think some degree of systems architecture at a minimal level so in other words requiring people to have a primary care physician and they can compete so primary care physicians can compete with each other openly but saying you know what if you're going to get this hsa subsidy to pay for preventative care the only way you're going to get it is if you sign up with a primary doc and you stick with them and you go see them and you don't flake on your appointments and this and that and, and if, if otherwise we take that money away like I think holding some accountability there through a system might help the patients because then that primary care doc can help them make decisions based on what their hopes dreams and fears are if they're a good doc right which we're right. gonna try to train so because you have to change how, how they're trained too that's the other problem the culture of medicine is so fucking fucked that Even if you, so you pay for it all with Medicare for all, you're paying for a fucked up culture. Like medical school is a shitstorm of stupidity right now. The way we train these people, the way we condition them. And then they come out totally screwed up. I mean, I talk about this in my talks and stuff. By the way, I'm just going to throw away the current talk I do. I, you know, I like it. It's, it's, but it's run its course. My next talk is going to be, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to talk shit about everything. Yeah. Basically live and if you like it, great. If you don't, maybe you need to look at the parts you don't like and see what's triggering you because the hard truth is it's time to stop, stop being filtered. about I, stuff. Yeah, just I think say, that's a that's a yeah.
1: killer. That's a killer idea. And don't don't you kind don't you kind of think that modern medical school has a convergence towards the machine model? You know, like, Oh, because, it's a,
0: a, yeah, the a way you start, percent. right.
1: Everything's a building block and you have to understand that the body emerges from the conceptual, you know, integration of these various systems. That's a machine. You're talking about a machine, right? A thousand percent. When
0: they, when a, when a Western doc talks about holistic care, they're talking about looking at the whole machine. So, oh, I'm not just looking at the engine. I'm also looking at the drivetrain and how they interact. Yeah, that's not holistic. That's partially holistic. It's not holistic. And so what ends up happening is you empower these quacks and dipshits, you know, to then come out and be like, the Western model is broken. You should come to me and I will give you herbs and spices and we will meditate on your chakras. And it's like, well, okay, now you've gone the other direction. Now it's just now you're just too stupid. So (laughs) there is a convergence where you, you, you can see the bigger picture and the, and, the, and the non, you know, it's just like, you know, look, it, we've talked about this before. The brain, the way people think the mind works is always influenced by the technology, the techno-economic development of their era. So in the Victorian era, people talked about the brain in terms of steam engines. Right. So yeah, there's pressure building up and you let off steam. And even Freud used this language, um, the language of steam engines. Then we get the computer revolution so now people talk about the brain in terms of computer circuits Well, there's this you know oc and ocd it's a broken circuit where it's just on loop is that correct probably not what's the next era well is it quantum computing or is it conscious agents interacting well then we'll have a different model so you know we're still just apes scraping around with meat holes flapping at each other (laughs) doing our best to evolve in a vast social network and, and so we have to recognize those limitations and be humble in the face of them i don 't think modern medicine does that
1: no, no, it doesn't, and that's why we haven't had any significant developments in modern medicine in over 50 years. there have been almost zero I mean yeah we sequence, we sequence the genome, but like what the fuck are we doing with any of that data you know in terms of affecting
0: daily's daily lives of people i 'm not highly disagreeable with you, you know, it's like vaccines, sanitation, better nutrition. And even then we don't even focus on nutrition. Nutrition is like the central aspect of what you know, makes people well or sick in so much chronic disease, but we don't, and stress, we don't focus on the mind body integration. It's not even connection. It's just mind body, right? We don't focus on that. And so what happens people, so by the way, we're going to have um, a great guest on the show on Thursday. We're going to probably record that and put it out later uh, as a CME episode. Uh, Dr. Ranesh Sinha. Right. Um, he's next up on the show. So he's been on the show before, but I did it ghetto with a phone. He was recently on Peter Atias' podcast. It was a great conversation about South Asians, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, diabetes, uh, low carb diets, all this kind of stuff. But really he's an expert now as well on the general levels of unhappiness in the Silicon Valley, how people are stressed and miserable and how it's creating disease in a population that's known to be strivers, South Asians. So you have all these Indians coming from India, they're coming here and they're fucking killing themselves. Like they're dying you know, of heart disease in their 30s and 40s, they're getting cancers, their women are getting polycystic ovary and these diseases of insulin resistance, and then they're pushing their kids to fucking become doctors and lawyers and engineers in this vicious cycle of just misery. So we're gonna talk about that and I think he's gonna help us understand some tools where you can actually improve that coming from that background himself. So these are conversations I think we ought to have. And then, you know, we'll keep doing that kind of shit more and more since we're in the Bay, we'll get these fuckers on the show
1: and talk to them. Listen, part of it with the Indians is if I know my Indian brothers and sisters, uh, they love fried chicken. See? Okay. And (laughs) that, that sounds like a joke, but these, Ah. these motherfuckers actually love fried chicken. Like when they come over here and they get on the American diet, it's shit goes, they go ham. They go ham. Dude, you know what? You know
0: what? I can't lie. My mom and dad used to take me to KFC as a kid. Like every week we'd have a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. It's like crack. And you know, and they're like, Oh, 13% spices. You know, mysterious. We don't know what they are, but uh, one of them has got to be masala.
1: Well, this like was there's a no masala. It. it wasn't India, but I think maybe it was Dubai. And there was a, a report that like, you know, KFC is like a, a fancy meal out for uh, the people of Dubai. And so it's wow. like they love and they're getting all fat and everything because <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, you're eating chicken fried with industrial seed oils. Like uh, you're going to get fat, you know, <laughs> and you're
0: going to get these diseases. It's not just fat. This is metabolically active visceral fat. That uh, is basically has direct access to your bloodstream and releases not good things and causes not good things, and uh, it, it, but that's a whole another
1: discussion. All right, I, 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 I got I to mm-hmm. tell you, I got to tell you about how deeply insane I actually am. So you have to <laughs> tell me about this. <laughs> am I intuitively know it. A belief that I hold actually fairly strongly is that uh, because of the fiat currency system, we have fiat food. And fiat food is something that because of the government's subsidy of corn, we see all these, you know, carb based corns, high fructose corn syrup based foods that are high in sugar and carbs. And it's one of the reasons that everybody's become fat.
0: Interesting. So you're relating our overproduction of fiat currency aka the US dollar that's not pegged to anything worth actually money in other words it's just pegged to the reputation of the US. Yeah. It's not pegged to gold, it's not it's it's an inflationary currency. By by, peg, by using that currency, the government printing more money, subsidizing corn, creating fructose, we've created big food, uh, cheap, abundant, and unhealthy food that then is foisted upon people who can least uh, afford good food, and they're dying. So you're saying basically yep. the government is murdering us with fiat currency. I am 1,000% saying that. And you know what? This is one of those rare times when I don't think you're crazy. Uh, I think you're right.
1: I think, you so. can tra- I think you can track it pretty easily, especially because of the farm subsidies. Like it's, mm. it's there and it's real. Yeah. And guess what happens when you give government infinite power to do top down architecture like this, to do things by fiat, by decree. You give them the power to say what is and what is not in reality instead of hundreds of millions of humans, <laughs> you know, yeah. creating their own systems and coming to their own conclusions in reality. Like an open, yeah. Open at,
0: data transfer, open networks. Yeah. Look
1: at, for instance, like the war on meat. There's this new sort of thing happening in, in, uh, the vegan circles and the environmentalist circles where we're supposed to eat this beyond meat crap. That's just basically mm. a bunch of oil and junk. Like I'm not eating that bullshit. Meat is one of the most nutritious foods in the, in, on the planet for the entirety of human history. And it's probably the reason why we are the dominant species. So... No, I'm not going to be eating your crap tofu soy burger bullshit. Like, fuck off.
0: Now, I would, however, uh, eat a you know a, a lab created literal meat.
1: That's because you're so a loser. In other words,
0: what? No, I, <laughs> because because uh, if yeah, we can if it could be if it, if it if it could yeah. be true
1: true one to one, but we're nowhere close to that. Not at scale. Yeah, but but,
0: but but I we can get there. I I bet we can because, because the only thing is I do worry about the um there's environmental costs to raising cattle and things like that but also there's there's this ethical thing that i have where i'm actually convinced that cows even though they're pretty dumb and stupid they have conscious experience if we can kill them without making them suffer i'm actually okay with that but like you look at a pig which is pretty fucking smart and listen i eat pork all day long because i have a cognitive dissonance around this but shit these are smart suffering animals if we can actually raise them in a way that doesn't cause them to suffer i'm fine eating them if we're if we're torturing them and in 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 systems where that's not true then i i think we may wake up one day and be like we've been bad
1: no, no, yeah. I I agree with that too. Obviously, nobody likes factory farming. Like the mo- the most ideal version of harvesting meat is to just go to the wild and put a bullet in something's head so that it just living oh, yeah. it's, it's living a wild free life, and then one day just from behind it gets struck down with a bullet. You know that, yeah. that that's you eat the it. yeah that's the best way to harvest meat. Like I don't think the in- and you know I what are the cows what are the cows being fed say it's 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 subsidized corn subsidized corn so yeah yeah this this is in everything and so this is why it's one of the things that I'm most uh passionate about and obviously it leads into the whole uh the bitcoin rabbit hole and there's a whole conversation about that to be had that goes really deep but n and that's for next time but uh, but I would say this <laughs> see, you on, see you on just,
0: next episode of the next show it, <laughs> I just realized something, you know, why are we feeding cows corn and, and they talk about grass fed meat, right? No, it's pasture raised. We should be feeding now that it's illegal, almost everywhere. We should be feeding cows, real grass, marijuana. Yeah. And then you can have a dope fed (laughs) cow, like a chronic meat and think about how flavorful and juicy and psychoactive that meat would be. You know, there I think are, it would transform.
1: There are eating. people that are actually doing this. Uh, no way. I've heard about it more so with pigs. But yeah, you can get marijuana infused pork where they feed. <laughs> uh, they feed marijuana to the pigs. <laughs> oh, snap.
0: Well, here's a question. So we're going to put this podcast out. It's Tom and Z Morning Rounds. You should subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. If you want to become a supporter of the show, uh, go to facebook.com forward slash become supporter forward slash MD. And for four ninety nine a month, we have these kind of private discussions in a closed channel where the people aren't allowed that are assholes. And it's great. There's about 7,000 people there um, and growing. So you should definitely join that. But I, th- there was a piece of this. Tom, do you think we need to like write show notes for this shit and like put it on the website and do all that or should we just put it out and let people listen and if they like it fuck it let's just put
1: it out i think the people that need show notes are assholes (laughs) i agree fuck them so if you're asking
0: me for show notes i've never used
1: i've never used the show notes for any podcast that i actually like you know what i mean like the people that want the show notes don't want to actually listen to the podcast so like fuck off I'm not going to do extra I'm not going to do extra work for you so that you can just read my show notes like blow me <laughs> You know, it's funny. So Medpage today is always posting my shit on their website
0: and they post the full transcription to whatever interview I do. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know, I don't really like that. I like my shit consumed by video. And they're like, well, the majority of our readers uh, prefer to read it. I'm like, well, that's called an article. That's not called a video. Right. And the way that, the way that we talk, it doesn't play well in written form. It looks retarded. I'm sorry, developmentally delayed. And so... <laughs> I don't like that. It's like when you read things that Trump says, you think, boy, our president literally has no brain. But right. then you hear him say it and you're like, you know, he, he doesn't have a brain, but at least he's he's he, he you know, he expresses himself.
1: <laughs> there was uh, <laughs> <it's> just- <laughs> Well, Obama clearly used to write his speeches, right, or have other people write his speeches for him. And there was this, I forget which tragedy, maybe it was like Mount Hood or something. After it, he goes, you know, we consign these souls to eternity. Uh, Their their names echo in the sounds of, you know, whatever. And uh, it was this very eloquent, you know, poetic Sentiment that he wrote Trump, who clearly doesn't write his speeches, uh, or have anybody else write his speeches, (laughs) and and it was, it was some tragedy. I forget which tragedy it was, but I read it in print, and it was like, Trump, so sad, very, very sad.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: oh, man. which like you know that's, if you were talking to somebody in real life and they were like oh so sad very very sad You'd yeah be like, it's okay. true yeah it is sad you know that's what but you if you, get, I mean, if you somebody see the president who basically written gets in print all his is like news so sad on tv very so sad, sad.
0: <laughs> very sad
1: very sad it makes him seem dumber dumber than he is you know <laughs> and he is dumb he is dumb Oh, well, you know, no, no comment because I know the NSA is
0: listening to this. Um, Mm -hmm. So guys uh, hit us up, subscribe, uh, review this podcast on iTunes. It helps us a lot to move up through whatever non-existent charts that we don't give a fuck about. (laughs) So actually don't even bother. We don't give a fuck what you say. I love you guys. I hate you guys, but I love you. And uh, we're out. Any past, any, any parting words, Tom Hineberg? Yeet. Yeet. We out. Peace. Peace.